0: Chapter 20, Trial by Fire. I woke to Nanny standing over me. She stared down at me like she was trying to decide if I was food or not. I reached up and patted the top of her head, which she almost seemed to enjoy. She knelt down on her bent legs, and with a thud, she tipped over on her side. I laughed at how clumsy she seemed to be, but I quickly realized she wasn't clumsy. She was just trying to cuddle with me. I rolled onto my side and allowed her to nest next to my stomach, I patted the wiry, dry hair on her head and back. She didn't allow me to stop. Each time I tried to pull my hand away, she would nudge me with her stubby horn buds. She never seemed to care about me before, only Seth, but I guess over time she began to trust me, finding me a suitable substitute in his absence. I found Seth across the room, sitting at the table with Zale and Fairchild. They were eating and laughing. I didn't say anything to them. Instead, I just laid there watching them while I patted Nanny's back. "'Then what happened?' Seth asked. "'He was smitten with Zale and Fairchild, "'who I assumed were sharing stories of the blood mission with him. "'Then she screamed at her,' Zale recounted. "'And Cinder backed off,' Fairchild added, looking to me with a smile. "'Your mom saved my life,' she said, with gratitude in her voice. "'Cool,' Seth said. "'He glanced over at me, too, and smiled with wide eyes. "'He seemed proud of me. "'Zale was quiet.' He was the only one who didn't smile at me he didn't look at me at all i figured he was upset with me for not welcoming him into my bed the night before morning miss brit Seth said they were just telling me about cinder she sounds amazing i smiled yeah she was i sat up and stretched my back and arms i felt refreshed even if the hard cold floor had been my bed i was happy to have been able to sleep I reached up to my hair, letting it down, and attempted to run my dirty fingers through the tangles. I gave up when I hit snag after snag and opted to just return it to the same snarly ponytail. Nanny forced her way onto my lap, nudging me again as I tried to fix my hair. Nanny, stop! She didn't relent, squeezing her head past my legs and arms, and with her long tongue she reached toward my belly. What are you doing? I said, laughing at her forcefulness. She continued to butt me with her head. "'which made me very ticklish. "'The harder I laughed, the harder it was for me to protect myself from her. "'She was strong and determined to nip at my belly as I giggled. "'What?' "'Finally, Nanny managed to grab the corner of the book "'that was hidden under my shirt. "'She grunted at me as she tried to pull it out into view. "'I'd forgotten that it was there and no longer found her antics funny, "'so I picked her up and removed her from my lap. "'Seth, come get Nanny and take her out, please.' "'Seth did as I asked. "'I tucked the book back under my shirt "'deving the bottom of it into my pants "'so that it wouldn't fall out when I stood up. "'Where are Buckley and Eamon?' I asked. "'Zale picked up his things without answering, "'and Fairchild made her way to sit by the fireplace with me. "'They're outside,' she said. "'There's a well out there if you want to clean up. "'The water's really cold, but it's clean at least.' "'I noticed that Fairchild's face and hair looked clean. "'She'd changed her clothes, too. "'I recognized that she was wearing the yellow T-shirt "'that Eamon had been wearing the night before.' The faint red blood stain on the shoulder was still there. I remembered the bite I'd made on him, drawing his blood, and suddenly felt ashamed of my behavior. From the looks of it, Fairchild was only wearing the T-shirt, which took me by surprise. And while it seemed more like a dress on her, I didn't appreciate that she was flaunting her bare legs and thighs around Seth. She didn't seem to have any reservations about being underdressed around my 13-year-old son and three other men. Her pale legs stemmed out from underneath the shirt, and she stretched them shamelessly out in front of the fire. Her clothes were hanging on the line above the fireplace. Did you wash your clothes? Yeah, she said. I couldn't stand it anymore. I bet not, I snarled under my breath. I gathered my belongings and escaped outside. Once on the porch, I felt a cool breeze on my face, and for a moment I surveyed the beauty of the land surrounding the farmhouse. Off in the distance, I spotted a small pond with birds floating carelessly. I followed the porch around the front of the farmhouse and found the well on the side just as Fairchild had said. There was a wooden bucket waiting there, so I pumped it full of water, leaning down to sip some with my hands. I swished it around in my mouth and then spit it out, trying to freshen up my teeth. They felt fuzzy because I hadn't brushed them in days. I took my finger and rubbed them to clear the fuzz off, and then carried the bucket down to the place where Eamon and I had talked by the fire the night before. The sun was shining, so I opted to keep my distance from the others. I managed to restart the fire and seated myself on the log, waiting for the flames to grow to a sustainable level. Once the fire had caught on, I placed the bucket on the end of a thick stick and hung it over the fire. I balanced it there, just out of reach from the flames so it could warm the water. From my satchel, I pulled the cleanest cloth I could find— I dunked it in the water and used it to wash my face, hair, and hands. The outer layers of my clothing were filthy, so I took them off and shook them out, hoping hoping to loosen the ash and dirt from them. Then I folded the yellow book inside of my jacket and laid them aside so that I could clean my skin and hair. I massaged the middle of the back of my head where my ponytail had been for days. My scalp ached. When I finished washing it, I pulled my hair around to the side and braided it into a long braid, which I tossed back over my shoulder to hang down the middle of my back. A few curls escaped the bindings, but I didn't fuss to fix them. My boots felt stuck to my feet when I removed them, as though the dried mud had molded my boot and foot together. I rubbed the arches of my feet, taking note of several large aching blisters that had worn on my heels and toes. After knocking the dried mud off, I slid my boots on and laced them tight, hoping to squeeze the life out of the bulging blisters. I preferred numbness over pain. Finally, my hands warmed by the fire while I sat deep in thought. The yellow book was next to me, but I refused to acknowledge it. It beckoned me to open it, but I fought hard to ignore the urge I had to feed my curiosity. My mind taunted me further So I appeased it by lifting the book onto my lap and taking a closer look at its cover. Just as I had suspected the night before, the bottom corner was red and crusted with blood. I felt the stain with nervous fingertips. For so long, I'd been desperate for answers, and now I could be holding them. Yet, I couldn't bring myself to open the book. A breeze came and dried my eyes. I closed them and inhaled. The fire's smoke filled my nostrils, forcing me to tip my head back for fresh air. I stared at the blue sky as the white clouds rolled slowly by. They seemed unchanged by the events on the surface below them. I began to wonder if they'd always looked like they did now. Dropping my head back down, I scanned my surroundings and felt inspired for a moment. The world's beauty was endless, yet there was so much ugly that had distracted me from it monsters murderers and disease had plagued the face of the earth forever and today was no different but yet this world was beautiful with a renewed perspective i looked again at the sky and clouds negativity escaped me and for a moment i was grateful and even hopeful for the good that bounded around me i began to think of seth and how he was a perfect example of goodness in this world without him i would have shriveled up and died at the ambit crossing Without him, I would have given in to the panic as the monitors had surrounded us at the hospital. He was a gift to me. He had faith in something I didn't understand. He had hope that I envied. I remembered a part in Isla's Bible that talked about faith and hope and love. It said, the greatest of these is love. I thought about how Eamon had even acknowledged that the night before. He said that the world was dying without love and that he and the others, like James, had hoped to do something about that. They all wanted to fight for our freedom, so why didn't I? I wanted what they had. I wanted their faith, their hope, and their love for others. I closed my eyes and struggled to find the words to best fit my plea. I began to pray in the way Seth had shown me. I don't know if you're really there. I don't know if you exist. And if you do, I don't know if you care. Honestly, I don't even want you to care about me. I don't deserve it. I've been so stupid, so selfish, and so afraid. I don't understand why I'm still here. Why am I still here? Who am I to be worthy of life? Why didn't you take me instead? James could have changed the world. James could have saved Chasen. But you took him. You took him from me. You took him, and then you took Chasen. Without my consent, tears began to flow uncontrollably. Why Chasen? He was just a kid. He didn't deserve that. He deserved better. He deserved better. They both did. They both deserved better than me. Why didn't you take me instead? Why? I was yelling at the sky now. I didn't care who heard me. I just wanted to scream at whatever was out there. I unloaded my emotions on the clouds and the sky and the beauty around me. I felt guilt for being there to see the world's beauty when James and Jason were dead. I fell to my knees and screamed at the ground, pounding on it with my fist. I hate you. I felt a hand on my back. The warmth of it sent chills to my spine. A body covered mine and then held me. He blanketed me with his body and rocked me. I sobbed and sobbed until I was sure I was out of tears. Then pain washed over my body. More warmth and weight fell onto my back. Another body covered me. Two people now enveloped me while I wailed, but I didn't stop screaming and crying. I didn't have any control. I had years of tears and pain that flowed from the deepest parts of me. Get her out of there, I heard one of the voices yell. She's burning, the other said. I was delirious. I was out of sorts, confused and lost in my emotions. Under me I felt Zale's arms cradle me. Now I was sure they were his. He picked me up and carried me like a baby. I felt weak. Daylight went in and out and my mind raced. Lie her down here, a female voice said, and Zale lowered me to the porch. Are you okay? I could make out Seth's concerned voice as he knelt down next to me. I couldn't open my eyes to see him. I couldn't answer, even though I wanted to. What happened? Someone asked. She fell in the fire, Fairchild said. I could feel her hands on my body. She removed my clothing and pulled my off my boots and socks. Her feet are bleeding. Seth, get some water, Zale ordered. Seth's feet pattered down the wood steps of the porch. Zale leaned over and opened my eyelids to look at my eyes. He snapped his fingers in front of my face. Then everything went dark. Voices. What are they saying? Why can't I understand them? Talking turned to silence, and the voices disappeared. I felt like I was floating in my mind, fighting to regain consciousness. Wake up! Help! I can't wake up! Move! Why can't I move? Then the voices returned. I could hear them again. I could sense the warmth of their presence. At first they sounded soft and calm, but then they turned fearful and scared. I could feel my heart racing. Why do they sound scared? Am I dying? Why are they screaming at me? Silence. The ground shook under me. Hot air covered me. Darkness fell. Chapter 21 our new pet. I awoke to laughter. Reaching up to rub my eyes, I found my hands were bandaged. In a panic, I sprang up out of the bed and inspected my body. My hands and feet were covered in white wraps, and my clothes had been changed. My head pounded as I tried desperately to recall what had happened. Again, laughter came. I recognized that I was still in the farmhouse, but I was in one of the back bedrooms in a bed that someone had made for me on the floor. I was alone. A cracked mirror sat leaning up against the wall. I slowly shuffled over to it because I was nursing a throbbing head. The cold of the hardwood floor sent a shiver up my back as I got down on my knees in front of the mirror. I hadn't noticed until now that I wasn't wearing pants, just an oversized shirt. I rolled my eyes, thinking of how I was dressed similar to Fairchild as she flaunted herself earlier that day. Or, at least I thought it was earlier that day. In the mirror, I studied my face for injuries. I couldn't quite remember what happened to me, so I wasn't sure where else I might have wounds. There were no visible wounds besides my bandaged hands and feet. Other than my headache, I wasn't in pain. Normally I would have found that odd, but I had been here before. I had stared at myself on other occasions, thinking about missing wounds and blood that didn't belong to me. I knew what had happened. I used my teeth and began unraveling the wrappings on my right hand. Once I removed it, I unraveled the other. My skin was pink and fleshy, lighter than it had been before. I had scars on both hands, but no visible wounds. I leaned back and sat on my rear end so that I could reach my feet. I unraveled each of them one at a time, expecting to see more scars like the ones on my hands, but to my surprise, they looked almost exactly as they always had. As I stood up, the cracked mirror flashed my underwear. I cursed my bare legs. Even though I knew I was alone and no one had seen, I turned red, thinking that someone had undressed me after the accident, and with my lack of options, I hoped it was Zale or Fairchild, not Buckley or Eamon. A creaking sound caught my attention as I was getting up from the floor. I rocked forward and then back again, finding the sound to be the wood planks below my feet. I stepped to one side and noticed the floor was solid, no sound. Something about that seemed strange to me, so I hovered for a moment, rocking back and forth on the creaky spot. The mysterious sound was too much for me to ignore. I got back down on my knees and felt the wood panels with my fingers. The board beneath where I was standing was loose. I dug my fingertips in the crack and wiggled the board until it released. I don't know what I expected to find there, but what I saw was the furthest thing from my expectation. In the dark, shallow hole in the floor was a book. I knew without pulling it into clear view it was one similar to Isla's. I retrieved it from its hiding spot to take a closer look. Why would someone have gone to such great lengths to hide a Bible in the floorboards? I glanced back into the hole and found another oddity— there was a long, beaded necklace with a cross charm dangling from it. I pulled it up as well. It didn't seem like it had any value. It was just a simple beaded necklace with metal hooks and a plastic charm. I examined the cross piece and found it odd to see a figure of a half-naked man spread out on it. The idea of someone hanging on a cross like that made my stomach turn a little, and so I quickly placed the necklace back into the hole. I took another moment to flip through the Bible "'and wondered why it was so special that someone felt the need to hide it. "'As far as I could tell, it was just like I was. "'I decided it wasn't as significant to me as it must have been to its protector, "'so I placed it back in the floor alongside the necklace "'and put the board back in its place over them. "'I searched the room for some pants to slip on, but there weren't any. "'I wondered if the old dresser in the corner housed any, "'so I made my way to it, pulling the drawers open.' A layer of dust floated up from the dresser top as I huffed my frustration with the empty drawers. It was then that I noticed the silver picture frames were were there still, after all these years neatly lined up on the top of the dresser. The photos were barely visible through the dust, but something caught my eye. It was a photo with a boy in it. I picked the frame up and pulled it closer, wiping it clean, and I smiled. I recognized the young black boy in the photo to be the same one from the photo I'd shown Eamon the night before, It was him. It had to be. I would have recognized the deep chocolate eyes anywhere. Also pictured with him was a young Rutherford, dressed in a uniform of some sort. I guessed it to be from the military. I knew it was Rutherford, but his smile made him almost unrecognizable compared to the jaded old man I'd seen in the flesh. There were two women in the photo as well, one white and one black. The white woman's arm was linked to Rutherford's, and her head was rested on his shoulder— She wasn't a particularly attractive woman, but her face was so happy that it made up for her crooked teeth and small eyes. The other woman, to the left of Rutherford, wore a sleeveless shirt and a long skirt that reached the ground. From under her skirt, her sandaled toes peeked out. She looked happy, too, as she balanced little Eamon on her hip. She must have been his mother. I was sure of it. Laughter erupted again. I fashioned a cover for my legs out of the blanket I'd been covered with and then stepped out into the breezy hallway. At the end of the hall, a room opened in, into an area with a fireplace and table where I'd slept next to Seth and Nanny, but no one was there. Sunshine beamed through the windows and I could smell something cooking. I peered out the window and saw the band of misfits sitting on the ground in a blanket eating Seth, Eamon, Buckley, Fairchild, and Zale. My heart leapt at the sight of hot food. It wasn't until I actually got to the porch that I realized what they were laughing at. It was Nanny. She was fearlessly charging and wrestling with the enormous creature that grossly outsized and outweighed her. Cinder. The two of them were like dogs trying to learn how to play together for the first time. Everyone watched as they engaged in their game. And peace washed over me and almost took my breath away. Because for the first time I was seeing Cinder in the light of day. She was magnificent. Her movements were graceful and smooth. She didn't stomp around, she glided. She had brilliant control over every part of her body, including her long, thick tail and her feet that were the size of tree trunks. One wrong move, and she could have easily crushed Nanny, but she was gentle and careful. Cinder was showing us a completely different side to her. I couldn't take my eyes off of the two of them. Cinder was teasing Nanny with something, Every time she would tease her, Nanny would bear down and run at Cinder, butting her head as hard as she could on the dragon's scaly foot. Cinder was so solid that Nanny would bounce back, knocking herself on her rear and then shake her head in frustration. It was the funniest thing I think I've ever seen. Every now and then, Cinder would even raise her enormous foot to reveal a lovely green plant, and as soon as Nanny would go toward it to eat, Cinder would cover it again. Nanny would then grunt, and again she would run at the foot with all of her might in the hopes that she might actually be able to get to the food. I laughed so hard I thought I was going to split. "'Look who's up!' Fairchild exclaimed as she noticed me on the porch. Seth gasped and then ran to to me, wrapping his arms around me and squeezing me. "'How are you feeling?' "'I feel good.' I showed him the scars on my hands and then added, "'A lot better than I should.' "'Come on!' Seth grabbed my hand and pulled me toward the rest of the group. "'Wait!' I said, pulling my hand back from Seth's grasp. I stopped, only feet from Cinder, and stared up at her, and she stared down at me. She shifted the weight of her body so that she could turn to see me directly. When she did this, her foot moved, and much to Nanny's delight, the green plant appeared. Nanny wasted no time devouring it while she had the chance. I stood face to face with Cinder. Her blackish-purple skin glistened in the light of the sun. She lowered her head down to my level. She inhaled and exhaled softly so as to not alarm me or blow me over. I extended my hand to her, and she lowered her head down further. Thank you. She puffed a small burst of air at me as if to respond to my gratitude. I laid my hand on her hard nose and patted her. Her nostrils moved as she breathed in and out. Her yellow eyes were kinder than I expected. They were so big I could see my reflection in them. You hungry? Eamon called to me. Cinder pulled her head back up and then retreated a little to lie down in a brush field. She was laying on her side like a cat, and soon she rested her head onto the ground, too. She relaxed peacefully. How long has she been here? I asked as I took a seat on the blanket next to Seth. Been almost two days now, Buckley answered. Two days? I repeated. "'I was out that long?' "'Eamon handed me a plate with fish on it, which he'd grilled over the fire pit. "'I smiled and nodded at him. "'I was thrilled to see food that wasn't freeze-dried. "'Zale didn't say anything to me. He barely looked at me. "'What the heck happened anyway?' Buckley asked through a mouthful of food. "'I don't know.' "'I do,' Fairchild said. "'You passed out. "'All we heard was you screaming bloody murder, "'and when we looked out the window you were on your knees punching the fire.' You almost put your whole face in it. It felt my eyes widen. I think you were dehydrated, Eamon shared. And your dang boots were tied so tight you lost circulation, Zale finally chimed in. I ignored Zale's comment and looked to Fairchild. My boots, is that why my feet were bandaged? Yup, she shook her head. Your feet were bleeding. I almost couldn't get your socks off. I remembered that I'd tied them extremely tight because I was trying to numb out the pain of my blisters. I looked down at my bare feet, but there weren't any blisters now. I wasn't surprised. Well, we're all relieved you're okay, Eamon said. Besides, I don't know if I would have believed you all if you'd told me about Cinder before a couple days ago, but now I've seen her with my own eyes. I looked over to Cinder, who was sleeping in the sunlight. I'm surprised she stayed. Well, at first we didn't think she was gonna, Seth said. She kept her distance for a while. I'm glad she stayed i rephrased my statement yeah me too Seth agreed i think most of us are Eamon laughed a little looking at fairchild whatever fairchild rolled her eyes what i didn't get the joke cinder doesn't like her buckley added she does too she's just mad at me still fairchild corrected him oh for stealing her egg i said buckley nodded and fairchild shrugged her shoulders like she didn't care but i could tell she did Alright, well now that we're all here, Zale started. We gotta talk about our next move. Next move, Buckley said. Eamon caught my eye. Well we can't stay here forever, Zale pressed. Why not? Seth asked. Because I have to get Isla back, I explained to him. He nodded and smiled at the idea. Okay, he said. I think now that we have Cinder here, we can use her to help get us get into the ambit to get Isla, Zale continued. We don't need to use brute force. The ambit doesn't pose a threat to us, I said. Zale glared at me. Okay, hotshot, then how do you suggest we get her out? I looked to Eamon, and he piped in. I know how. How, Zale said begrudgingly. Aldum. Aldum. Fairchild's eyes widened. A man from the ambit, I responded. I gave Eamon a look, letting him know that I didn't want to talk about how I had more family in the ambit than just Isla. "'A smile spread across Fairchild's face. "'And he's in the ambit?' I nodded. "'How do you know Aldum? Zale questioned Eamon. "'That's a long story,' Eamon said. "'Great, more secrets,' Zale huffed and vanished into the cottage. "'I'm going to get my things,' Seth ran after Zale. "'I didn't blame him. I was excited at the idea of seeing Isla again, too. "'But there were other dangers to consider in the meantime.' "'Where are we going, exactly?' Fairchild asked. Eamon looked at me and smiled. "'We're going to the shelter tree.' Fairchild began to ask for more details, but I lost track of her questions because fear washed over me. I suddenly realized that I didn't have James's yellow book. I ran inside the cottage and tossed my belongings around. It wasn't there. I bolted out the door and down to the fire pit where I'd collapsed, scanned the ground, and sifted through the ashes. In the ash of the fire, I found a scrap of yellow paper. "'No!' "'No, no, 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 no!' I screamed at the fire. "'What's the matter?' Eamon came running down. "'The book!' I cried. "'I can't find his book!' "'Did it burn?' He got on his hands and knees to help me look. "'I don't know. What if someone found it?' I was fighting back tears and felt sick to my stomach. I didn't know what it contained, and now I didn't even know where it was. I burst into tears and held the scrap of yellow paper in my hand. It was nowhere to be found. Eamon hugged me. "'It's okay.' I know what the book said, and I'm not going anywhere. I pulled away from his embrace and stared into his eyes. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I... I broke into tears again. Eamon held me tight. When I finally pulled away, I saw Zale watching us from the porch. I didn't know how long he'd been there or what he'd heard. Pulling away completely from Eamon's hold, guilt washed over me like I'd been caught doing something wrong. And even from this distance, I could tell Zale's eyes were on me. He just glared at us. All right, before we start Chapter 22, I'm apologizing to those of you that I didn't tell yet tonight that I wasn't going to keep up Eamon's voice. (laughs) Hope you're uh, keeping up. Uh, Because it got on my nerves, so I figured it got on your nerves, too. (laughs) It's hard to be romantic with that accent. (laughs) We'll edit all that out. Okay, Chapter 22, (laughs) Return to the ambit. The shelter tree was larger than I remembered. I stood at the base of it and stared up at it. The little pink buds that I remembered from before weren't there now. Fall had come, and so the leaves and buds were long gone by now. The bare branches of the shelter tree had become eerie-looking as evening set in. The shadows that were cast from it looked like bony fingers stretching out over the yellow grass below. The leaves on the ground rustled in the wind that swept across the field, and the darker the sky fell, the more ominous a feeling the shelter tree gave off. I sat at the base of the tree, resting myself up against the trunk of it. I was overlooking the ambit. Even as night approached, there was still enough light for me to make out the basic structure of the cottages on the lane closest to the ambit crossing. We planned to set up camp here for the night. We all agreed that until darkness fell, Cinder should remain a ways away, so as to not draw attention to us at the ambit crossing. Nothing reads threat like a forty-foot dragon, and that was the last thing that we wanted the ambit to feel. Unlike Sale's initial determination that we should go in guns blazing, I felt we should do our best to remain cordial with the ambit. Our group's motive for returning to the ambit was simple. With Maris dead, we had no choice but to go to the only other living person in the photograph that we felt might have some answers. We needed to figure out what Rutherford had up his sleeve and why he'd gone to such great lengths to keep it hidden. Also, with monitors running around only miles away from the ambit, we needed to warn the guiding authority of the threat, so they could take the appropriate action to protect themselves. I may may not have agreed with the ambit on many things, but I certainly didn't wish them harm of any kind. My own motives for heading back to the ambit were obvious. I wanted my daughter back. I wanted answers, too, but more than anything, I wanted to get my life back. I had no idea where we would live if I was able to get her back. There was no way I was going to return to the outside where my husband had been murdered in cold blood, but I wasn't welcome in the ambit. The idea of of it frightened me, but at least for now I opted not to focus on the logistics. I would deal with that when the time came. The chill of the night air started to set in, but I remained at the base of the shelter tree, hugging my legs for warmth. Lanterns flickered on as the darkness landed on the sleepy little village. I wondered what Isla was doing at that very moment. She was so close, and yet I had to wait until the time was right to go get her. It took every ounce of my energy not to sprint toward her now. Eamon said it wasn't a good idea to light a campfire because of the attention it may draw, so again we found ourselves dining on freeze-dried packets of beans and vegetables, and without without warmth of the fire, we were in for a long, cold night. I watched as my group scurried around, being quick and careful to make sure everything was taken care of before the blackness fell on us. Fairchild had pitched a tent with Buckley's help. Eamon and Zale did other odd jobs, always being sure to keep a good distance between them. Hazel hadn't spoken to me since we'd left the farmhouse earlier that morning. "'I was sad that such a rift had been made between us, "'but I didn't know if I could trust him anymore. "'I didn't know if I could trust anyone at this point. "'I looked around for Seth, "'but didn't see him with the others at the camp campsite. "'I leaned to look around the other side of the tree, "'and I spotted him with Nanny kneeling in the field at the ambit crossing. "'His back was to me. "'He didn't move from his sitting position. "'I figured he was praying.' I waited a minute, and then, before the light disappeared completely, I walked to him to make sure he wouldn't get lost in the darkness. "'Hey, Seth.' I took a seat next to him on the ground. I crossed my legs and placed my hands in my lap. Nanny found her way onto my lap and curled up on me. Her body was warm on my legs, and I was grateful for the heat she provided me. "'It's getting cold out here,' I said. Seth didn't say anything. "'You okay?' I finally asked. "'Yeah.' He didn't say anything else. You seem down, I probed further. What are you thinking about? Seth looked up at me and a tear bounced off of his cheek. My mom. I hadn't even thought about how being this close to the ambit again would make Seth feel. I had failed to even think of him and his attachments and memories to this place. Elle's passing was less than a year ago, and here I sat selfishly thinking about my own motives for being there. I put my arm around his shoulder and pulled him close to me. He didn't break into tears, but he didn't say anything either. I'm so sorry for everything, Seth. I wish that your mom was here too. I love having you here with me, but I wish you were in there with her and your little sister right now. Me too, he sniffed. I squeezed him close to me again. He rested his head on my shoulder and reached over to Pet Nanny as she slept on my lap. After a while, Seth asked me, "'Do you believe in heaven?' "'Heaven?' "'Yeah, you know the place that the Bible talks about?' "'Oh,' I was surprised that he was asking me, of all people. "'I wasn't sure how to answer.' "'I don't know.' "'The Bible says the heaven's where you go "'if you believe that Jesus was God's son "'and that he died for us,' Seth explained. "'It says that when you go there, "'you can see the others who have died before you.' "'Oh,' I said again, I thought of James and Chasen, my mother and sisters and Elves. I think we have to believe it then. You do? Seth seemed surprised by my answer. Why? I thought for a long second before answering. I didn't want to lie, but the truth was I didn't know for sure what I believed about God or Heaven. I gave him the best answer I could find for the moment I was in. Because I have to believe I'll see them again. I have to believe that something greater is out there taking care of us. I choose to believe that God must exist because he gave me you. Me? Seth said in in surprise. Yeah, you. I looked down on him with a small smile. I know that God loves me because he gave me you. Seth blushed. I hope you don't think that I'm a bad son, but sometimes I think that my mom had to die so that I could be your son instead. I mean, I loved my mom, and I wish she was here with me more than anything, but I just feel like God put me with you and Isla for a reason, you know? Seth paused. I don't know, maybe that sounds dumb. I don't think that sounds dumb at all, Seth. I actually think it's very profound. I'd never thought of it like that before. On the day of my accident, I had challenged God, asking him why I was still here instead of Jason or James. Seth had saved me from giving up so many times, but I'd never considered that maybe I'd saved him too. Maybe I was still here for him. Maybe God chose me to live because only I would have felt the kind of compassion for Seth that I did in the moment I claimed him. Maybe there was purpose to it after all. Want to see something cool? Seth asked. Sure. Seth leaned over the ground in front of him and pulled back some of the weeds. Underneath was a square stone that had a marked marking etched in it. I was just walking out here with Nanny and I stumbled on it. Seth's voice was filled with pride. I think it's really cool because look, there's a cross on it. Seth traced the cross with his fingers so that I could see the outline of it. The moonlight was just enough for me to make out what he was pointing to. Wow, do you know what that is, Seth? No, but I just thought it was a cool place to sit and pray, you know? Yeah, I agreed. "'You guys getting cold over here?' Eamon interrupted, walking up from behind. "'I turned to answer. A little. "'Hey, Eamon, want to see something cool?' "'You bet I do,' Eamon said enthusiastically as he plopped down on the other side of Seth. "'I secretly loved the way that Eamon interacted with Seth. "'He paid attention to him, which Seth adored. "'Eamon was a great role model for my 13-year-old, "'and I was grateful to know him and to have him with us now.' "'Check this out,' Seth separated the grass to reveal the square stone in front of him. "'Can you see it?' "'Yeah, I see it.' "'Can you see the cross on it?' Seth asked. "'Yeah, I can see the cross,' Eamon answered. "'I wondered if Eamon could really see it, because I could barely see it. "'I was just telling the sprit that I thought it was a cool place to pray.' "'Seth was thrilled with the approval and attention he got from Eamon. "'It's a great place to pray, Seth. You're right about that. "'Do you know what that stone is for?' Eamon asked in return no I just found it here Seth said well I think it's a gravestone he suggested I hadn't even considered that suddenly the sweet moment Seth and I had shared moments prior seemed awkward considering we were sitting on a grave really Seth said yep well how to get way out here he asked hey Seth would you mind getting me a flashlight Eamon asked maybe there are more around here "'Okay, good idea!' Seth jumped up and ran back toward the others. "'He's a sweet kid,' Eamon said. "'I know. He's amazing. "'You doing okay?' "'I nodded. "'I think so. Seth has helped a lot.' "'Good,' Eamon paused. "'Brit? Yeah?' "'I'm sorry if I caused issues for you and—' "'Eamon nodded toward Zale, the far side of the shelter tree. "'Don't be,' I said before he could finish. "'Have you two talked?' "'Not a word,' I said stoically, not letting on how much it bothered me. "'Are you okay with that?' Eamon quizzed me. "'I wasn't exactly sure. "'I didn't want to admit my feelings on the subject, so I changed it to be safe. "'Do you really think there are more graves out here?' Eamon smiled, recognizing my redirect. "'No.' "'Oh.' "'I was confused. "'Then why did you send Seth to get the flashlight?' "'So that I could talk with you alone for a moment,' he said smoothly. I was taken by surprise, but the fl- by the flutter, but the flutter in my stomach surprised me more. Oh, I said slowly and in a sheepish tone. Why? Because I didn't think it was right to tell you this in front of Seth. Eamon said, looking in- at me intently. I could see enough of his face to see his eyes were focused on mine. Tell me what I said, gazing at him, half expecting him to say something sweet or romantic. It's James. I was taken aback by the mention of James's name and said bluntly, What's James? The stone, Eamon nodded toward the stone in front of us. This is where I buried James. My eyes felt like they were about to bug out of my head. Here I was thinking Eamon was admiring me, and all the while he was preparing to tell me that my dead husband was buried underneath us. I jumped up, What? "'I'm sorry. I planned on telling you, but Seth found it before I got the chance,' Eamon said, standing up too. "'This is where he's buried?' I repeated it, like I'd heard him wrong. "'Yes, I thought this was the right spot for him because of the shelter tree. "'I'm sorry that I didn't tell you sooner. I didn't mean to upset you.' "'I noticed that Seth was on his way back over with the flashlight in the hand. Zale was with him. "'I figured Zale was on his way over because he'd heard me raise my voice at Eamon.' What's going on? You okay?" Zale asked me directly, clearly concerned. I didn't say anything. I was trying to sort it all out in my head. I was standing here with two men that I'd found myself attracted to for very different reasons. And in the 5 years since James's disappearance, not one man had stood out to me until Zale, and now Eamon had also captivated me. I felt incredible guilt wash over my body for feeling the way I did about for Zale and Eamon at the same time all while I was standing on the grave of my poor dead husband. Just when I thought things were awkward enough, Seth flashed the flashlight onto the gravestone, once again revealing the name on it, James. Huh, that's odd, Zale said, seeing the gravestone. It's a gravestone, Seth said. No, not the gravestone, Zale said. The name, my brother's name was James. Chapter 23 next of kin My feet were planted firmly in the ground but the world seemed to spin around me I felt like I could fall over at any minute like I'd been hit by a vehicle and thrown for miles I was dizzy from Zale's words could it be the same James I tried in all my confusion to remember what Zale had told me of his brother's death he thought that ba- that Buckley had done it or at least it had something to do with it Buckley said that Rutherford ordered him and some others to take Zale's brother above ground as punishment for selling on the black market. Eamon confirmed that James had indeed caught negative attention from the underground. Why hadn't I put it all together? If Zale and James were brothers, then Lucita was James's mother. If Lucita was James's mother, then James was the one she was pregnant with in the picture, which now burnt a hole in my back pocket. Zale said Lucita waited for his brother to return for months before she killed herself. Of course she waited for him. She thought he was in the ambit. Eamon said that James had gone to see Maris and Lucida when he returned to the outside. Of course he would have gone to see them. They were his parents. Why hadn't I realized it? It was so clear to me now. I didn't even have to ask. When I met James, I was awestruck by the warmth that his presence gave off. I felt safe with him. No wonder I was drawn to Zale in the same way. They were brothers. They had the same DNA running through their veins. That means that Zale is my children's uncle, my brother-in-law. I felt (laughs) sick to my stomach. (laughs) I ran a few feet from the brick gravestone and leaned over to throw up. The dinner I'd eaten of freeze-dried beans and vegetables came back up without hesitation. Over and over again, I heaved in the field. I couldn't stop thinking about Zale and James trying to sort it all out. If Lucita was pregnant with James in the photograph and my mother was holding me, then James and I were together back then. My father said that my mother adored Lucida. They were friends. My mother and Lucida were friends. Had James and I played together as children? My father must have known that James was Lucida's son. Why didn't he tell me? Did James know? Why didn't James tell me that he had family in the outside, that he had a brother? I'm going to get some water for you. I'll be right back, Seth ran back toward the camp. Eamon knelt down next to me. "'Are you okay?' I looked at him with desperation and whispered, "'No, they were brothers.' I could hear Zale ask, "'What's wrong? What's going on?' "'Nothing,' Eamon answered. "'Bull!' Zale scolded. "'I'm tired of you two saying nothing's going on.' Zale stomped over and pulled my arm to turn me around. "'Look at me!' Zale ordered. I couldn't bring myself to look at him. I knew all I would see was James's brother." I began to cry as I struggled to turn my face from him. What's wrong with you? She doesn't want to talk right now, Zale, Eamon said calmly. I felt Eamon step in closer to us. Stay out of this, Zale yelled at Eamon. Brit, what's going on? Why won't you look at me? I wept as he held my arm. I refused to open my eyes and look at him. I just shook my head. No. Let go of her, Zale. She needs a minute, Eamon said again, a little louder this time. You don't know what she needs, Zale screamed back at him. Eamon didn't bother to say anything this time. He just grabbed Zale's hand and began forcing him to let go of my arm. Zale squeezed my arm even harder, trying to hold on. The harder he squeezed, the harder I cried, the more forceful Eamon got. "'Let go!' Eamon demanded one last time. Zale finally released my arm, and with seconds, his fist connected with Eamon's jaw, throwing his head back. Eamon didn't move. He just straightened his neck and turned his face to look at Zale straight on. Zale glared at him. They stood face to face, And although Eamon had a few inches and tens of pounds on him, Zale didn't back down even for a second. They didn't say a word, they just stared at one another like dueling lions. Stop it! I cried out to them. I tried to force my body between them. Zale, he's right. I need a minute. Zale broke his line of sight to look at me. I returned his gaze, fighting my inner urge to look away. I'm sorry. I'll explain later. I just need a few minutes, I said again. Even in the darkness around us, I could tell Zale was hurt. He spoke softly to me. Is that what you want? For right now? Yes, I said with an aching heart. Zale looked into me for another moment, searching my eyes for denial of my statement. I felt something for him in that moment. I recognized his protective instincts over me, and I knew it was genuine. He made me feel safe in an unsafe environment. I was there with Zale in that moment not James's younger brother. Zale turned and walked away. Seth was on his way back toward us with some water, and when he passed Zale, he said something, but Zale didn't respond. Seth didn't seem bothered by it at all, because he just continued toward us. I broke down. Zale had no idea what Eamon and I had just learned, and I didn't know how to tell him, or if I even could. I felt the warmth of Eamon's approach from behind me. He wrapped me in his arms and hugged me. I turned to him and buried my face in his chest. I was shaking from the cold, the vomiting, and the realization of the last few minutes. You're okay, Eamon consoled me. Here's your water, Seth yelled as he ran toward us. I wiped my tears away quickly with my hands, wiping the wetness on my pants. I forced a smile. Thanks. Chapter 24, The Reunion Night fell upon us, so we all found a place to sleep, and Cinder slipped back into camp to be near us. Fairchild and Buckley shared the only tent, and while there was room for at least one more in it, no one had any interest in joining the lovebirds. Seth and I hung a hammock in the tree, just as we had months earlier. Nanny slept at the base of the tree, just as before, and with her, Eamon sat, determined to stay awake to keep a lookout. Zale opted for shelter and solitude in one of the vehicles for the night. It seemed like I'd only closed my eyes when I awoke to a nudge, So when I opened my eyes, I was surprised to see the deep, dark blue of the night sky above me still and Eamon looking down on me. "'Follow me,' he whispered. "'I have something to show you.' (laughs) I wiggled slowly and carefully out of the hammock. I remembered launching poor Zeph out of it in the past and steadied myself so as to not repeat history. Eamon climbed further up into the tree and was a good body length away from me by the time I escaped the hammock safely." I was a pretty good climber and proud to show it, however childish of me. I liked Eamon. He was good to me, and somewhere inside I wanted to impress him. Almost to the top of the tree, Eamon positioned himself on a sturdy branch. He made room for me to sit next to him. Look, Eamon pulled me in in close to him so that I could share his vantage point. His long, thick arm outstretched through the branches. See there? We were overlooking the ambit. "'There was very little light, but I could see the dark structures that I knew were cottages. "'I could see almost the entire ambit from this height, "'a notion that thrilled and terrified me at the same time. "'I reminded myself not to look down at the ground. "'Yeah, I see it,' I said, smiling. "'I didn't understand why he wanted to show it to me in the middle of the night, "'but I still appreciated the view. "'That one over there was yours,' Eamon pointed to one of the cottages barely within sight. "'He was right.' The end of the mall he pointed to had the schoolhouse and the lane that I lived on. Yes, how did you know? You used to keep your fire lit all night. He stared straight out at the landscape. I was shocked that he knew where I lived. I looked at him, studying his face from the side. He was very handsome physically, but something about his protective nature over me made him even sexier in that moment. Yeah, I did. My son used to get real sick at night in the cold. I thought of Chasen. I missed him more than I could utter in words. After James died, I started to let it burn all night. Why? I don't know. It helped us sleep. I thought back to the days when life seemed hard, but was so simple in retrospect. I remember when I finally realized James wasn't going to return. I was cold and scared at night. The fire was warm and made me feel safe. I just never let it go out after that. I swallowed the lump in my throat and forced a smile in the dark. Some nights when I used to come out here to get the book, I would climb up here and look for your light. It's kind of how I knew you were okay, Eamon smiled sheepishly. I was thankful for the dark because I was sure I was blushing at this point. You watched me? I wouldn't have been offended at all if the answer had been yes. Well, that sounds kind of creepy, Eamon snickered a little. I would say I watched over you. Oh, there's a big difference, I guess. Eamon nudged me a little playfully. I guess I felt like I should, you know, for James, he said more seriously. There was that name, James. It sobered me to hear it from someone else's mouth. The sound of it sucked all the girly flirtation out of my conversation. How could you flirt with him like this? You're mere inches from your James's grave and zale who you believed you had feelings for. I looked over at the vehicle where I knew Zale was sleeping. I hoped he couldn't see us in the tree. Eamon caught me looking in Zale's direction. "'Do you love him?' Eamon asked me point-blank. "'It caught me off guard. Zale?' I stalled to give me a second longer to process the question. Eamon nodded, hesitantly awaiting my answer. "'Love?' I thought for a moment longer. "'I don't know. I love James. I love my children.' I said, trying to validate that I did know love in some capacity. But, say, oh, I don't know. Things have gotten so complicated, I'm not really sure what love is anymore. I was speaking without thinking at this point. My answers rolled off my tongue without a second thought of the repercussions. I was becoming very vulnerable. I don't think love is something you should have to think about, even declared. When you love someone, you feel it. You know it. He even stared at me trying to read my face. I looked down at my lap. Love shouldn't be complicated. It just is or it isn't. James loved you until his very last breath. I had to meet you because I had to understand how someone could be so worthy of that kind of love. Do you think Zale's capable of loving you like that? A tear slipped out of my eye and rolled down, stopping at Eamon's ha- as Eamon's hand caught it. I've never been worthy of love like that, I whispered through cracks in my voice. I felt like I should be uncomfortable with Eamon in this moment, but his interest in me seemed genuine. Eamon knew more about me in my past than even I did. He knew about my losses, my loves, and my life. Eamon knew me wholly and still wanted to be sitting in this tree with me. That's not true, Eamon said with tenderness. James wasn't crazy when he stayed in the ambit for you. He was in love. He would have gone to the ends of the earth for you. I curled up one side of my mouth, proving my gratitude for his sweetness. "'And I would, too,' Eamon added. "'I looked up at him. "'I suddenly understood he wasn't talking about me and James or me and Zale. "'He was talking about me and him. "'I was in love with you before I ever saw you. "'The way James described you, the way he adored you. "'I fell in love with you through the the words he wrote,' Eamon professed, looking down at his hands. At first I felt bad about how I felt, but years have gone by and it hasn't changed. I know it sounds crazy, but I feel like I was supposed to find James in the alley because I was supposed to find you. I tried to speak. Well, I am, well, I choked on the words. They wouldn't come out. Eamon looked back and shrugged his shoulders. I'll always be here, whether you love James or Zale or Buckley, he chuckled. If you'll let me, I'll never leave your side. My heart swelled. All this time, he's looked after me. All this time, he's protected me. No one else has, and he has. He wants me. He wants only me. And I'd be crazy not to want him. I'll let you, I whispered back with a coy smile. I leaned in, pulling even close to me. I closed my eyes and waited for the second that I felt my lips connect with his, and then I kissed them. His lips were thick and soft. I loved kissing the mouth that spoke such sweet words about me. Words that made me feel like a woman worth loving. We held each other in the shelter tree for several minutes longer. I closed my arms and rested, in, closed my eyes and rested in his arms. Under my breath, I thanked whatever forces were present that made this moment possible for me. I didn't know if it was God, but I thanked him and whoever anyway. There's something else I want you to know, want you to see. Eamon said. What? I asked, regaining consciousness. I don't know if you can see it from up here, but look over there. Eamon pointed down to the ground below us. I couldn't make out what he was pointing to, but I knew that it was in the general direction of the grave that he'd made for James. I don't see anything. Right there, next to where James's stone is. What am I looking for? Do you see where James's stone is? Eamon pe- asked patiently. Yes. I could barely make out the square stone. If you look directly across the abbot crossing from it, you might be able to see it, Eamon directed. Another stone? I asked, confused. was waiting for me to ask the next obvious question. Well, if it's on that side of the ambit crossing, it had to be someone from the ambit. I was working through the thought in my head. But when ambit people die, they're cremated, not buried. I was confused. That's right. So, I scowled at him, still confused. So, your father faked the cremation. Whose cremation? I asked. I gasped, and instantly tears flooded my face. What? Your father faked his cremation and brought his body to be buried next to James, Eamon explained. My father did that? I couldn't believe it. Are you mad? he asked. I didn't think a second longer about it. I shuffled myself down from side to side, releasing Eamon's hold on me. I shimmied my way down the shelter tree and dropped to the cold hard ground. Eamon followed me closely, trying not to wake Seth with his calls after me. "'Brit? Britt, are you okay?' I bolted toward the stones. I almost made it when I collapsed on the bed of dry grass next to Chasen's stone. "'Chasen?' I lay on my belly, pressing my cheek flat to the ground where I imagined his body was buried only a few feet below me. "'Chasen?' Eamon came alongside of me at the grave. "'Are you mad?' "'No, I'm not mad,' I cried tears of sorrow and joy together. I'm grateful. A few moments passed while I rested on the cold ground. I knew that his essence was no longer there, but just being within feet of his little body, I felt relief from the sting of how much I missed him. I'm going to need you to trust me now, Eamon said. I lifted my face from the ground to look at him in question of his last statement. Trust you now? Haven't I been trusting you? I need you to trust me. Can you do that? "'I don't understand why you're asking me that. "'Do I have a reason not to trust you?' I sat up. Eamon only smiled and extended his hand to help me get off the ground. "'I took his hand, and with one swift motion he pulled me up into him. "'I couldn't help but laugh a little because of the force he whipped me through the air with. "'He made me feel like a rag doll in his arms. "'Thanks,' I said. "'You're welcome,' Eamon started. "'I have somewhere I need you to go with me.' "'Okay. Back to the tree?' Eamon smiled at my implication. No, we have to go across the ambit crossing. What? I turned and looked around as if others might have heard his absurd statement. We can't do that. Look where you're standing, Brit. You've already done it. I looked down at my feet. Eamon was right. I'd already crossed into the ambit to see Chasen's grave. On some level, I knew that it was silly that this imaginary line carried such control over me, but it was what the line signified. My whole life I was fearful of it. As a child, I never knew for sure if I stepped over the line even an inch if somehow the guiding authority would know and I would be banished. I didn't know how that would be possible, but the fear of me of it kept me from testing the theory. You're right. I didn't even realize it. Exactly. When you knew that Chasen was there, you didn't even hesitate to cross over it. I nodded. Isla is in there, Eamon said, motioning to the ambit. It's time to go get her. I can't do that. She won't understand. I don't want to scare her. Your father can ease her mind, Eamon said matter-of-factly. My father. Asking my father for help was the last thing I'd considered. Think about it, Britt. Think about what your father did for Chasen. Eamon looked down at the ground beneath our feet. He laid, He lied to the guiding authorities so that he could lay his grandson to rest next to James. I knew Eamon was right but I didn't trust my father. I don't know if I can do that, I said, looking back over the ambit. Eamon could read the fear and confusion in my tone. He pulled me into him, holding my face in his hands. You can. He kissed me softly and sweetly. Come with me, I asked. Eamon smiled. Of course. I have to get my satchel, I said, running back to the shelter tree. I pulled my satchel from the low branch that I'd hung it on, I peeked inside to make sure everything I, I had it had everything I needed. I could feel my heart racing with excitement. I'm going to see Isla. I felt dizzy with the thrill that it gave me. The small smile on my face almost felt safe until I noticed a dark figure standing next to one of the vehicles. I squinted to see who it was even though I already I was already pretty sure that I knew who it was. It was Zale. He was standing on the other side of the vehicle that he had taken refuge in for the night. He was watching me. I didn't have to see his eyes to know that. And I didn't have to see his face clearly to imagine what his expression would convey. Hurt, anger, and betrayal. Does he know where I'm going? Does he know that Eamon is going with me? How long has he been watching? Did he see us kiss? He doesn't understand. He doesn't know what I know. He has no idea. Just look away and keep walking. Just keep walking toward Isla. "'I did just that. I kept walking. "'As I crossed the ambit crossing, I looked back again. "'Zale slammed the door to the car "'and began walking in the opposite direction. "'Cinder must have been watching the whole scene play out "'because as I crossed over into the ambit, she lifted her head. "'She raised her enormous body, and with only a few steps, she came toward me. "'Oh, no,' I whispered to Eamon. "'What's she doing? I don't know.' "'Cinder came closer. I put my hands up and waved at her. "'No, no, go back!' I whispered and yelled at the same time. She's going to wake everyone up, Eamon panicked. Cinder reached the ambit crossing without so much as a peep. She was smooth and silent. Eamon and I backed up as she approached. We were on the opposite side of the ambit crossing from her. I think she's following us, I said, watching Cinder's movements. I don't think she is, Eamon disagreed. At the ambit crossing line, Cinder paced back and forth. She didn't step over, she just paced. We watched her strange antics for a few more seconds. She's not crossing, I observed. Well, that's good. She won't wake everyone in the ambit up. Something about the way Cinder paced didn't sit right with me. She reminded me of a leashed dog trying to follow its owner. She acted as though she wanted to follow us, but couldn't. She seemed to be as afraid of the ambit crossing as I was. What would a 40-foot dragon have to be afraid of in the ambit? Come on, Eamon urged. I turned hesitantly to follow him. A puff of hot air came from behind. I turned again to see Cinder puffing her huge nostrils at me. She puffed again and then continued pacing furiously. I knew she was warning us, but if there was something to be afraid of in the ambit, I needed to find out what it was, or I needed to get Isla out fast. I turned and didn't look back. Ready? Eamon asked. I took a deep breath, bracing myself for what would come next. Yes. Eamon knew his way through the ambit as well as I did, if not better. It was clear that he'd studied the layout of the lanes and the mall from atop the shelter tree. We moved quietly and stealthily through the ambit, past the cottages and farms, through the mall and beyond the schoolhouse. Knots twisted in my stomach to be back on the lane where I'd grown up. My father's house was about halfway down, and on the way to it we passed the cottage James and I shared with our family. As we approached my father's, I was surprised to see that there was a light flickering in the window. "'He's awake!' I stopped in my tracks. Eamon stopped and turned back to look at me. "'Yeah?' "'So, what now?' "'Well, now things get interesting,' Eamon said. I looked at him sideways. "'Come with me. Trust me,' he smiled, and his white teeth glistened in the moonlight. He took my hand in his and led me toward my father's cottage. As we approached familiar smell filled my nostrils. What is that? The smell was so familiar to me, but I couldn't place where I'd smelled it before. I thought it was perhaps the burning of the fireplace in my father's cottage. It's definitely a burning smell, but not the smell of fire. Where have I smelled this before? By the time we stepped up to the porch, my senses were going wild. The hair on the back of my neck stood up. Something inside me started screaming. Danger, run. I ripped my hand away from Eamon and turned. I bolted off the porch. As I rounded the corner, I bumped into someone. It was too dark to see who it was. Well, hello there, Miss Britt, a man with a southern drawl said as he grabbed my shoulders. I didn't have to see his face to know who it was. I knew by the sound of his voice. It sent chills down my spine. Rutherford. My heart, blood, and senses overwhelmed me. Darkness closed in. Don't pass out. Don't.